We're continuing a series looking at the Spirit-filled life, life lived together with the Holy Spirit. And tonight we're thinking about uh, having an eternal perspective. And uh, we've just recognized that, that someone who knew and who loved the Lord has gone to be with him. And so we're thinking about the eternal perspective that actually if you know Jesus in this world, if you've given your heart to Jesus and confess him as Lord, that actually even when you die, you go to be with him. And this is a, a foundational truth and it's the truth that we hear ringing clearly uh, from Paul's writings. And so I'm going to read to you um, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and the first 10 verses. Uh, so if you'd like to follow along, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 1 to 10. I'll read it now. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we were at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So what can we see then from this passage in terms of this series we're doing on life in the spirit and that with this focus on life in the spirit having an eternal perspective. Well, I've kind of got three main points, which I'll give you in advance, so you can sort of turn off if you like afterwards. Uh, the first is that heaven will be better than the here and now, which also, you know, we also know that we would definitely have an amazing glorified body. Very exciting. Heaven will be better than the here and now. Secondly, that here and now, we can be confident, having a pledge of God's transformation and presence through the activity of the Holy Spirit within us. And thirdly, how we do the here and now will determine our experience of heaven. Heaven will be better than the here and now. Here and now we can be confident that how we do the here and now will determine our experience of heaven. So heaven will be better than the here and now. God is recreating us in Christ. And this is a process which will not be complete until the general resurrection, Christ's return and the general resurrection. It's a process which sees us being transformed, transformed from being spirits weighed down by earthly perishable bodies to being spirits glorified in supernatural bodies that are fit for purpose. Paul also writes elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He writes this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, he says, encourage one another with these words. So in case we missed it, Paul thinks this is encouraging. So it sounds complicated and a bit out there and super spiritual and, you know, big picture. But it's good stuff. And so Paul is saying, encourage one another with these words. Now, jumping back then to our sort of related passage, uh, also uh, uh, speaking about this eternal perspective from 2 Corinthians Paul speaks, and you, you might have picked up on it when I read the passage, uh, of, of our bodies as, as tents. Paul was a tent maker, and basically he uses the tent as a picture of our present temporary earthly bodies. For Paul, in his mind, it would be a liberating thing to pass on from this mortal life, essentially to upgrade from the tent. Paul saw eternity, though, not as an escape into nothingness, or as a release into permanent inaction, but actually as a moving forward into real purposeful life in a new spiritual body. I think one of the reasons why you know, people struggle to think of heaven or uh, struggle to kind of like really engage with it and have faith for that and, and be encouraged by the thought of that is, is, is some of these kind of other concepts that kind of undermine our, our, our ability to see this in the glorious terms that kind of Paul is wanting us to grasp that actually it's not a kind of a perpetual kind of like floating around sort of doing nothing or, you know, that, that, that stereotype of playing harps on clouds and things. It's not this kind of like permanent inaction or, or nothingness even, but actually it's, it's, it's the realisation of all that ultimately God is calling us to be and to do with and through him. The Christian hope is not about being kind of a disembodied spirit that kind of floats about, but about being re-embodied, that again, we're going to get an upgrade. It won't be like a tent, but actually it's going to be like a house, if you like, something that is kind of more permanent, fit for purpose, a spiritual body fit for purpose. And he says in verse one, he says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands. So if Paul is right, I believe he was, how is it that, that we can know then? What, what, what is, how is it that we know this? Well, we trust in God's word. You know, I've just read a couple of passages, very encouraging. We also know that Jesus is alive, don't we? Jesus says, in John 14, 19, it's recorded, where Jesus says, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. So even as he was resurrected from the dead, he's basically saying, even as I live, you also will live. And he kind of used this kind of metaphor of, of upgrade when he, he talked in, in, Matthew, in, sorry, in Mark 14, 58, uh, where people are trying to criticize Jesus and find fault with him. It says, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build another not made by human hands. So again, it's this concept that, of upgrade. You know, something made with human hands is going to be upgraded to something not made with human hands, something better. Uh, a commentator I like uh, called uh, Warren Wearsby has done a great expository commentary of the Bible. 
points out that the people of God can be found in two places, heaven or earth. And he makes reference of Ephesians 3, 14 to 15, where it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So the good news, this is encouraging, is that Christians are not in the grave or in hell or some intermediary place between earth and heaven. As Paul says in our passage, a Christian is either at home in the body and away from the Lord or away from the body and at home with the Lord. Which is why it's said in verse 8, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That Paul would said that meant that it was better. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when a believer dies, even though the body goes to the grave, the spirit goes to be with Jesus. As a member of God's royal family, a Christian leaves their mortal body to be with the Lord. And there they wait until the time when everything is made new. As I said, the general resurrection, the coming of Christ. Paul says in Philippians 1, uh, 20 to 25, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to depart and be with Christ. Again, not in the ground. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which he then says, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. I've got an NIV study Bible I really like. And it says in the notes, it says that while mysteries remain, and again, talking about the general resurrection and new spiritual bodies and confusingly this language about sleeping and different things that Paul uh, and, and that the, the, the Bible records about this. Uh, my NIV text notes about this Philippians verse says, while mysteries remain, this passage clearly teaches that when believers die, they are with Christ apart from the body. And given that Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, being with Christ after death must involve some kind of conscious presence and fellowship. As one commentator writes, what is signified must supersede earthly experience, where the believer knows the Lord, so actually being at home with the Lord is a higher form of the intimate fellowship with Christ that the believer can experience on earth. So again, we don't have to be afraid. Because we know that if we've given our hearts to Jesus, all we have to do is call on the name of the Lord and we're saved. If you invite Jesus into your heart, it means that when you die, you go to be with him and you can know him. And it's an upgrade. Even when we wait for the general resurrection and the end of all things, we can be with the Lord. And I know this because God is good. I know this because God is kind. I know this because God is for us. And he is always, always, always seeking out that which is lost. He's always wanting to come and find us and to rescue us and to bring us back into the fold that we would know him not only in this life, but the next. He's a good God. So heaven will be better than the here and now. Secondly, here and now, we can still be confident having a pledge of his transformation in the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul sees the Holy Spirit as the sure and unbreakable link between our present experience in perishable bodies and our future experience in spiritual bodies. So there's an overlap of this life and the next through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overlaps. And we see here in these verses the great significance of our present possession of the Holy Spirit as a pledge of ultimate transformation. So in verse 5 of the reading that we had at the beginning, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And again, Paul says similar things elsewhere. So in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And again, Ephesians 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? Well, as one commentator laid out, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being changed and we're being changed in a good way. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And in 2 Corinthians 4 16, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So again, as a Christian who has the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is at work in you, making you to become like Jesus. And again, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit as we simply yield to his initiative, his life-giving presence within us. Again, I love that, the picture that Jesus gave us in John 15 of remaining and abiding in the vine. And again, you know, if, if we're going to produce fruit, it's not a question of just sort of trying harder or going, as if that will produce fruit. It just doesn't work like that, does it? But again, with the tree, it's the life-giving sap, if you like, of the Holy Spirit that facilitates the, 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 the fruit that comes that is produced. So our work is to, to say yes, is to yield to the Holy Spirit. And he will be at work, this amazing guarantee of our eternity. He's at work in this life, changing us to become like Jesus. Also, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we know in the future that we will be resurrected. We've said that already. In Romans 8, verse 10, we see specifically the role of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in affecting that. Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Amazing Holy Spirit. Look what he does. And thirdly, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives prefigures and guarantees the future completion of that work. The Holy Spirit wouldn't be doing that in us if he's going to suddenly sort of give up, you know, go and do something else. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So again, God is doing this. The Holy Spirit, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, we can be confident that he is in our lives transforming us to become like Jesus, that he will affect that power in us of resurrection and that actually what he started he's going to bring to completion. Although Paul longed for the life to come, he didn't despise this life. And it was Paul's conviction that even here and now, the Christian can experience a foretaste of eternity through the Holy Spirit. 
As again, as one commentator said, even this world is clad with the sheen of glory, which is the reflection of the greater glory that shall be. And we all know, don't we, when there are times when we know we see a sunset or, you know, we experience the, you know, the warmth and love of, of, of companionship or, you know, whatever it is that you just, you know, where you just meet with God in his creation and through his people and just enjoy his presence. It's, it's like a foretaste. But also, again, we recognize that for the believer in this world, although the Lord is, is present not to sight, he is present to us through faith. And we're essentially citizens of two worlds. We've got one foot in time, the other in eternity. Our body might be in the earth, but our heart is in heaven. And so even in this world, we can walk with the Lord, commune with him, know him. And Paul says that we are always confident. That word comes up twice in this passage. He walked by faith and saw life from an eternal perspective because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because of life lived together with the Spirit. And for Paul, heaven wasn't simply a destination, but also a motivation. And this is the eternal perspective, that, that we have a destination, but also in the light of that, a motivation for life now. Again, we talk about those who have gone to be with Christ, the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. And like the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, Paul looked for the heavenly city and allowed his life to be governed with eternal values, and we need to do the same. And that leads us to the, the third and final point, that actually how we do the here and now will determine our experience of heaven. It's only through Christ that we can know the blessing of eternal life, live together with God. Scripture says that we just have to call on the name of the Lord and we'll be saved. We just have to admit that we need him, that we are morally and spiritually bankrupt without him, that we cannot earn our way into heaven. But actually, if we simply confess our sins to the Lord and invite him to come into our lives to forgive us, for the wrongs that we've done. If we're able to humble ourselves and say, God, I'm sorry for ignoring you or the things that I've done wrong. Yeah, I'm not Hitler, but actually I know that I've made other people's lives in misery at times. Um, it's not enough that I've been all right. Actually, my being all right makes me unfit for heaven. A place of holiness, of perfection. A place that is devoid of war and uh, rejection and shame, a place where there's just life. And actually, Lord, I don't want to bring the stuff that I know I'm just not proud of into that heaven and spoil it for everyone else. So Lord, in your mercy, would you just forgive me and cleanse me and take from me those things that are holding me back that I would know life with you now and in eternity. Jesus, come and live in my heart. I want to receive your forgiveness and your Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance with the saints. So actually here and now we get to invite Jesus into our hearts as Fiona said earlier and we can know peace with God in this life and in eternity. But also even in terms of the believer, those who confess Jesus as Lord, Paul's making the point, isn't he, to those he's writing to, that what we believe and how we behave goes together. So he says, essentially, you are therefore the implications of what we've been looking at in terms of that upgrade and the confidence that we have and the Holy Spirit with us. We see the implications for our behavior based on those first eight verses, the, the, the doctrinal truths that he's spoken about and you know, that we're encouraged in the light of. He then goes on to say that in the light of that, that, that ought to mean something. And basically he says that our fate in the next world depends on what we've done in this world, that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Romans 14, verse 8 to 10. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Thankfully, if we're Christians, if we've given our lives to the Lord, we know that we will not face our sins. Again, we we know the forgiveness of sins. That's why John 5, verse 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Good news, isn't it? Romans 8, verse 1, Fiona began with it. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we will have to give an account for our works and service to the Lord. Appearance before the judgment seat of Christ for the Christian is to do with reward and not status. It's concerned with an assessment of works and indirectly of character and not the determination of destiny. So actually judgment on the basis of works is not opposed to justification on the basis of faith. All you have to do to be right with God is to say, Jesus, come into my heart, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. So it's not about status, but there is a lot to be said about rewards and actually judgment based on an assessment of what we have done. So every believer will be here before the Lord and give an account of themselves. So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 10 to 16, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hail, straw their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And again, to entertain the hope of this being with the Lord, of knowing him, of person-to-person communion with him, it's natural that we would want to please him in this world, isn't it? It's natural that we'd want to obey him. Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you were living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. It is high stakes stuff, isn't it? Again, as again, another commentator said, life is a thrilling thing. We are making or marring a destiny, winning or losing a crown. Time is the testing ground of eternity. If you called on the name of the Lord, then you know salvation and you will get into heaven when you die. But actually... God is watching our lives and he's looking for men and women who will walk with him in this world and do what he's calling them to do to make a difference. That we would be those who would do as he's asked of us, to love him, to love our neighbour as ourselves and to fulfil the great commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. Again, this isn't a heavy thing, but actually it should be a very liberating thing. Who wants to spend... You know, the next 20 years just working through box sets on Netflix. Sometimes when you're tired, you know, Netflix is good, isn't it? But actually, 
We were made for eternity. And there is a longing in the heart for more. There's a longing in the heart for our eternity with him. But also there's, there's something that will only be satisfied in this life when we are aligning with our destiny, when we're doing the very thing that God has called us to do in this world. And that isn't about just trying more. It's not about activity. It's about a yes in our hearts. Again, Fiona was talking about that, you know, the doing the thing you don't want to do, quoting from Romans 7. I think that part and parcel of this, God just looks at the heart. And I think the, thing, the chief thing that we need to do is actually do the very thing that our heart is saying yes to in the Lord and not say no to it. It's not about doing more. It's about aligning practically with the yes in our heart more. If you love the Lord, there is a yes in your heart that's saying yes to him. The trouble is sometimes we ignore the yes. The answer isn't to do. The answer is simply to say yes and align practically with that yes in the way that we speak to people, in the things that we do, in how we behave, in the way that we are at work and in our marriages and in our families. It's aligning with the yes of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, the one who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance with the saints and the one who is at work in our lives in the here and now. And for that reason, we can be confident. Would you like to stand with me? Let's pray together. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that the Holy Spirit of God is here and he lives in us and we ask for him to come, he does come. The God of the universe would show up at All Saints Woodford Wells just because we decided to turn up and ask him to come. Isn't it an amazing thing? Isn't he kind? Isn't he amazing? And so we're going to do that. We're going to ask that the sovereign Lord of the universe would turn up this evening and meet with us. And we know that he will because he's good, isn't he? And if we ask our Heavenly Father for the good gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus taught us that he's a good dad and he'll give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if it helps to close your eyes, close them. If it helps to open your hands before you as if you're about to receive a gift from God, do that. But there's no laws, there's no rules. It's just posturing yourself to receive this good gift. Holy Spirit, we honour you We honour your presence with us. We thank you for that eternal perspective we have on account of what you are doing in and through us, in this world and the next. And so, Father, we ask through Jesus that you pour out your spirit on us. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just wait as the Holy Spirit comes.